All right, welcome back, guys. What's up, guys? Hey, buddy. I think this is like week number 45 for Lent itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This seems to have gone on forever. Lent just keeps going. Yeah, I'm about ready for it to be over. Well, that's why we had the pink vestments, to give us hope that the end is near. Oh, that's right. How, d- how uh, Jonathan, did you get to wear pink vestments this past Sunday? I did. Sunday? I wore pink really? for the second time. This is the wow. second time I've worn them. Did you wow. wear pink or yeah. did you wear rose? Actually, I don't know. They're the same thing. <laughs> did you guys have you guys been doing anything at your parishes that you're at for Lent? Any special things? We had a uh, we had a Lenten retreat at my parish on Saturday. Nice. And I hear it went really well because I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a busy guy. <sighs> Very busy. So busy. My parish does uh, every Friday of Lent. They do a Stations of the Cross that immediately follows evening mass, and then after that is a soup supper for all oh, nice. who would like. So this past Friday was the RCIA, RCIA team designated day. So oh. that's me and a couple of others. So we led the stations, and I cooked some soup. It was pretty good, <laughs> if I do say so myself, <laughs> which I do. I love a good vegetable soup. That's good. Well, just looking at these these readings coming up, you know, one thing that really struck me was just looking at the gospel and kind of just sitting with it again. Uh, I've sat with this reading of the woman who's caught in adultery before, especially it's used for penance services or for times of prayer. I remember even using it with my own students, but seeing it in a different way. Something that occurs to me, what Jesus is doing is pointing out the real flaw of the scribes and Pharisees through his actions. So these scribes and Pharisees bring this woman before Jesus who's been caught in adultery. And they say, what will you do? Will you follow the law and condemn her and have her be stoned? They're trying to catch Jesus in order to then condemn him later to find to find a case against him. But Jesus doesn't really answer them. He sits down and he draws in the ground. And then he says, let one among you without sin be the first to throw the stone. And I, I think what's interesting here that's happening here is Jesus is restoring the humanity of the woman. Hmm. So this whole time she's been brought forward and hasn't said anything. It's the scribes and Pharisees trying to use her as a tool for their own personal gain. Hmm. And finally, when Jesus addresses them and let he who is without sin throw the first stone, then she is able to speak and she actually does get to have a voice. So where are the men who've condemned you? There's no one here, sir. And so Jesus has given this woman a chance to finally speak Mm -hmm. uh, in this space. And I think that for me, when reflecting on that, I think that in an act of mercy, which is what Jesus is really showing here, the act of mercy is to restore humanity. They have taken away her humanity by making her a tool for evil. And then Jesus just saying, you know what? This is a human being and you're all human beings. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a a double-sided humanity happening here. This lowly woman is raised up and given a voice. And those who are higher up in society are made more human. Hmm. They're not as distanced because they're made aware of their own sinfulness. So there's, I think, a radical space where 
Christians are called to stand between between that, where we're supposed to be focused on the lowly within society and giving them a voice and also prophetic towards those who uh, are oppressive within society. Yeah, but is the I really like that. And I wonder, though, just a quick clarifying question. Is Jesus tearing down the Pharisees or is like you even said, like there's an act of mercy towards them, too? Is that what you said? I think it's an act of mercy. Ultimately, it's it is a public shaming of the Pharisees. But at the same time, it's an opportunity to show them their humanity. Yeah. What he yeah. says is, you know, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no one there that can do that. Mm-hmm. And so it's a reminder to them that they stand on equal footing with the woman that they're condemning. I think that might be what St. Paul is getting at in the second reading to the, his letter to the Philippians. He says, I consider everything as a loss because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He doesn't just say, I consider my sinful tendencies, everything. So he's pointing to both the woman and the, and the Pharisees. Their pride is just as sinful. Their pride is just as something that is something that we need to give up. In all of our sinfulness, we talk about it traditionally as separating us from God, but ultimately it separates us from the children of God. It separates us mm-hmm. from our community, from the church. Yeah. And the woman separates herself from that group by uh, committing adultery, but the Pharisees have mm-hmm. structurally separated yep. themselves from the children of God as well. And yep. Jesus is calling them both back together. It becomes a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. where you sin and thus cast out from society, which means you can't find your find reconciliation, which is the beauty of our sacrament, of our of confession, mm-hmm. which is why the, I think this is used so often in, in prayer services and reconciliation services. Yeah. yeah. You know, the word, Louis, that you use that I want to focus on a little bit is the word restore. There's, I think, great power in that word, and you said it a few times. Um, it's not creating something new, but it's sort of restoring what was taken away. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's also like an elevating too. So like there's a restoring and there's also an elevating that happens with Christ. You know, he restores her to her humanity, but then he says, go and sin no more. So there's also an elevation of saying of moving beyond what you once were, but you know, and I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, when we think about the end of Lent with the cross, but then also the elevation and glory, um, you know, moving beyond what was before. The reason I like the word restore is because in the first reading, there's the wonderful words of of the Lord, see, I am doing something new, right? The newness. And we talked a little bit about newness last week of God doing new things for us. But I think that what struck me in the first reading about doing something new is that the follow-up question is, do you not perceive it? Mm-hmm. There's something really beautiful that there for me is that I often don't perceive how God is doing good and new things in my life. You know, I have a very tunnel vision. Maybe you can see that in the Pharisees is that they have a very specific way of seeing things and they don't see Jesus who is doing a new thing. And he's riding in the dirt, presumably, you know, with his own finger, just like God wrote on the tablets with his finger, writing the new law, which is the law of mercy and the law of love. And he's doing something new and they don't perceive it. They don't see it. Yeah, they're also not prepared for how uh, intelligent Jesus is. Mm. You know, they're they're not prepared for his response, which is, again, going with that first reading, a new path. He's not going to condone adultery, obviously, 
But he's also not going to throw stones at this woman. Mm-hmm. He's going to cut a new path, a path of mercy, which is something that I think our world is still trying to grapple with. Mm-hmm. That if you look at Christianity and its response to sinfulness in the world, there are still those two very distant polarities happening. There's the people standing in one quarter condemning everyone. And there's the people in the other corner that are like, let's just let everything go and, mm. and give ourselves over to modern society. And I think Jesus is still pushing within the church and within, within our own prayer for a middle ground between those. That there has to be something that acknowledges what is reality, what is truth and goodness, what is sin. I just think our politics have taken it all out of out of sorts yeah that there isn't a lot of room for mercy in the public sphere you know one thing maybe going riffing off of that a little bit <clears throat> one thing that i like about jesus's posture in this uh not just not his physical posture but just sort of his position vis-a-vis the pharisees is that he has kind of in himself taken like taken upon himself the position of judge mm. of he is the judge that is able to judge what is good and what is bad and what the Pharisees are doing or what she is doing. Um, And he sort of sits in the judgment seat and not judgment in a bad sense, but judgment in the sense of he's able to say, you know, who are you to cast a stone? And I think there's Mm -hmm. something really beautiful with that is that Jesus is the one who's able to judge the nations. He's able to judge us in our current, you know, politicized context or polarized context. It's Jesus who stands in the middle and says, you know, woe to you also, and woe to you too. Um, he sits in the place of judgment. Because like even the Pharisees say, they ask him, so what do you say? They give him the, the gavel, right? And they say, you cast judgment and see. And he does. He's the just judge. Yeah, and it's all, I think it's interesting also to take a look at how he judges. So the Pharisees are judging this woman for her actions. Jesus is judging the Pharisees for what they're failing to do, Hmm. which is see this person as a human being. And I think, going back to your point, Louis, I think that's something that, again, is very, very much missing in our world today. We're so quick to point the finger at people and say, look at you, how you're tearing this world apart, rather than saying something that might be a little bit more Christian, what are you and what am I failing to see? The truth and the goodness and the beauty in our world and in our people. And I think that takes a deep spiritual sense to be able to look for and to be able to bring out in others and in society that you really have to be connected with this Jesus in the Gospels in order to have that sense of what is good and beautiful and worth saving in this world. Did you notice that the word restore was in the responsorial psalm? I did notice that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's yes. like, I'll skip the response. Yeah, no. <laughs> the only reason I notice it now is because I just, my, my eyes landed on it. But, you know, that one, two, the third stanza, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the torrents in the southern desert. There's something really beautiful there. If you think about Jesus kneeling on the dirt, uh, there's sort of desert imagery there, you know, in, I imagine this arid land. And so there's, something about being in the desert and the Lord restoring the fortunes of his people. And her fortune is her dignity as a person. Um, and it's being restored to her. You know, not. I think we can have a tendency of reading that and saying, oh, fortunes as in gold and diamonds. But no, like 
the most precious thing that we have is that we're children of God and mm -hmm. he can restore that to her. To take a move out of your book, David, if we even look at the gospel verse, <laughs> uh, those first, <laughs> those first two words, uh, even now says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart. So mm -hmm. even now there is, there is even in the worst possible space, even in your deepest sinfulness, even now, there's still a chance for you to turn to God with your whole heart. And I think that that's what Jesus is enacting in this passage, that even now this woman caught in the act of adultery, even now you have a chance. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah that's interesting that, you know, we kind of anecdotally, we often view Lent like, am I doing it well? Or, you know, have I just kind of squandered my opportunity to do penance and blah, 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 blah. But if we take this seriously, and I think we should, it's like, well, you just being here, even now, you are loved. So there's still mm -hmm. time to, you know, quote unquote, have a good Lent. Because it doesn't matter when you start. I mean, it kind of does. Okay. But Jesus <laughs> forgives. Period. <laughs> yeah. All right, any uh, final thoughts here? We didn't talk about the jackals or the ostriches. I know, I was really, <laughs> I wanted, I had never really realized that there were ostriches in the uh, Bible. <laughs> well, you know, I think it goes to your point, Louis, that this happens so, especially in Isaiah, um, but so often in the scriptures, Jesus does this all the time. He throws the regular order, the natural order on its head. And so... The Pharisees are brought down. The woman in sin is brought up. The wild beasts honor me, for I put water in the desert. Like, these are not things that naturally occur. But with the power of God and forgiveness and mercy, these things will happen. Even even these. Even now. Yeah. And really, a lot of times it's up to us to step back and just watch it happen. Mm -hmm. that, like, these things happen and they're so unexpected, so surprising that we just have to trust that God is moving it, that God's moving this person's heart, God's moving my heart, creating an ocean in the middle of the desert. Like mm. all those things are so unexpected that, uh, yeah, it's almost like he's entertaining us. Amen. Cool, man. That's great. Thanks, everybody. All right, all guys. Right. Until next Good time. Good show. All right. See ya. Until next time.